Welcome to Concerning CAMS, brought to you by Education Pathways. I'm Kevin Connickney, your host. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's get started. Our topic today is managing the board. I have the pleasure to be here with attorney Steve Adamchek. Steve is a partner with the law firm of Godi Adamchek, DeBost and Cross. Welcome, Steve, to Concerning CAMS, and could you please start by telling us a bit about your background? Thanks, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, I've been practicing law for roughly 12 years in Florida, uh, mostly in the community association context with condominiums and homeowners associations in Southwest Florida and South Florida. And our law firm is a full-service firm, but a large part of our practice is devoted to the community association representation. Thank you. Well, as we get started today, what are some of the common challenges that CAMs face when trying to, quote, manage the board, unquote? One of the biggest challenges is try to corral everyone to a board meeting where a decision can actually be made. The association is a corporation formed under Chapter 617 as a not-for-profit corporation, and corporations act through the board. The board acts through meetings, and meetings must be duly noticed and posted and open to owners most meetings rather. And so part of the board's and the manager's job is to crowd the decision-making process into a vote. And how does that occur? Uh, Many of our managers are asked to schedule workshops or to schedule phone calls or to schedule, you know, fact-finding sessions where the result is that that fact-finding session involves a quorum of the board. And what are they supposed to do in that situation? A board meeting is defined as any time a quorum of the board is together conducting business. Some people argue that that phrase conducting business only means votes and that if you're just talking about the budget, it's not actually a board meeting. But we think that's uh, falls short of what it should be in that anytime the board is discussing the budget, that there should be a, a meeting. Uh, for clarity, you know, my partner Richard always tells the story about the board member who's swimming laps in the pool on Sunday afternoon at four o'clock. And another board member uh, walks by and the person swimming the laps looks up and says, hey, a board member, the clubhouse looks a little, little, little poor. Don't you think we should pressure wash it and paint it? And if they have a board of three, that means you get two directors talking about the paint of the clubhouse at four o'clock on Sunday afternoon. That requires a notice to be posted by four o'clock on Friday afternoon saying that the deep end of the swimming pool, there'll be a board meeting to discuss and consider the color of the clubhouse and the paint situation. <laughs> So, yes, it is that strict. Uh, Yes, the rule is violated all the time. But the board and the manager's job into managing that is to get to a decision at an open board meeting. Because if the result of a board vote is all private conversations that should not have happened outside of the context of a meeting, then there's a question as to whether you're giving transparency and and due process to to the voting procedure. Uh, The board's job is to have an open discussion in front of the owners and to vote and to take corporate action. Uh, The association acts through its board. The board acts at meetings, and meetings must almost always be open and noticed to members, and that's where the action occurs. Steve, what are some of the strategies for CAMS to employ as they try to advise members of the board about their fiduciary responsibilities? Right. So the board's fiduciary duty is what they call a business judgment, which is to make, along with what I was just saying, informed decisions at open meetings, is to act in the open, is to make informed decisions. And what it means is that if you're not an attorney, don't play an attorney. You're not an accountant, don't play an accountant. You're not an engineer, don't play an engineer. So 
to exercise that duty, the manager should be heavily involved in working with the professionals to make sure the board has the right opinions and recommendations that it needs to act. For example, uh, you know, there's a situation where the board is trying to build a bridge. And one of the residents in the community is a retired you know, electrical engineer from up north. And they don't want to hire an engineer. And so they say, hey, uh, John down the street was an engineer, right? Anyone can construct a bridge. Let's go get John to save us a few bucks. And uh, we're not really sure if he's licensed, but he can do it. No problem. And then they draft those specs. And the contractor builds the bridge to the specs. And the bridge collapses. Well, then the association is going to be liable for breaching their duty. But when they have an opinion from a licensed Florida you know, civil or structural engineer and they build the bridge and there's a problem, well, the association is not going to be liable at that point because they relied on a licensed professional. So to help the board carry out their duty, it's really important that the manager have the right professionals in place and insist that they get those recommendations from the licensed professionals in writing so that the board can act on it and act on it with an expectation that they're carrying through their duty. Most judges will not look back at a board decision and say that was a dumb decision or a poor decision. They're going to look and to say, did you make an informed decision? Hmm. And by exercising business judgment, just because the bridge collapses uh, doesn't mean the board is at fault because the contractor messed up. It's, but if they got the right specs from the right engineer, they're exercising their business judgment duties and their principles and carrying out their duty. And so it's important for the manager, again, to make sure the right professionals are lined up to give the right recommendations that the board can rely on. And I'm guessing the board certification courses that are offered to board members cover precisely this type of fiduciary responsibility. Yeah, so we covered them at our classes. The statutes, the state says you have to cover six of so many topics, and so one of them is going to be duties. And... Uh, so every newly elected director must take a class within a certain number of days of being elected, um, or they could have taken the class before elected. But if you're a newly elected director, you got to take the class or sign a piece of paper that says that you've read your documents and you understand them, you'll uphold them. Most people take the class because it's fun. Uh, our jokes are half decent. Uh, people <laughs> enjoy the jokes. And so you learn a lot. And one of the topics that we do cover is fiduciary duty. And we do talk about, uh, board meetings, and you'll learn a lot in those classes, and they're really helpful. Do you have any suggestions for how a community association manager can best handle a demanding board member who may be crossing the line with requests she or he makes of the manager? Kevin, that's a great question and one that we deal with very frequently. Uh, you know, we often say that being an officer in a uh, HOA or a condo is kind of like being British royalty. It's a, it's a great title, but there's not a lot of power. And the reason is because, like we said earlier, the power rests in the board. The corporation acts through its board. Now, you can have delegations of authority. I always say you can delegate authority. You can't delegate responsibility. So the buck stops with the board, but you can delegate certain functions to certain officers. The bylaws will typically provide that the president is um, sort of a CEO of the organization. Maybe they handle day-to-day -day operations or they oversee them. But most bylaws do not provide that the president can approve a contract in his or her discretion. And that power is not automatic. But oftentimes you have a president assuming that they have that power. Or you have the treasurer coming to them and saying, I demand that you change these financial records uh, because this should have been reserves and, you know, or we approve this amount here on a different document. And again, the treasurer doesn't necessarily have that authority in him or herself by the title. And so it's a question of knowing where does the power lie. And if you have an officer coming to you saying that you, I insist that you do this, you have to be able to take a step back and say, this really needs to be a board decision. Because even though the 
president or the vice president might think they have the authority, they might not in actuality. And if you act on that demand, you sign that contract without a proper board vote, if a board vote's required, you're now sticking your own neck out there, right? Your name's on that thing. And so uh, oftentimes it's a matter of recognizing that the power rests with the board, that yes, certain officers do have certain functions. And yes, a president probably could tell you to go make sure the maintenance crew covers this area today or that you get bids from certain contractors or that you get multiple more bids than maybe you thought you needed to get or that you schedule board meetings on a certain day. Yeah, that, those powers certainly exist in some of those officers. But if they tell you to go hire someone to go spend $20,000 to to fix something, that really needs to be a board decision and doesn't fall within the de facto authority of an officer. And so recognizing where the power lies is really a big helpful tool uh, because you're sticking your neck out there if you go and you sign that contract, knowing that the board should really be voting on it. So the pushback, it sounds like, uh, from the CAM, for example, would be to say to the president or the treasurer, it sounds like that's a reasonable thing for us to do, but it really needs to be something that the board makes the decision on, and we need to document that the boards approve that. Absolutely. Uh, you know, oftentimes the president is a longstanding person in the position, a, a matriarch or patriarch of the community. And you obviously want to respect their wishes, but you also have to make sure that you're following the law, which oftentimes says the president by him or herself doesn't have that authority just because they have the title. The board has that power. So yes, you should absolutely be respectful. You should show deference to the position. Uh, But ultimately, uh, if they're asking you to sign this thing or carry out something you know that needs board approval, you probably need to make a a very polite reply that uh, my understanding is that this requires board approval Uh, I need to circulate this to the board for consideration at the next board meeting. Hey, if you want, we can accelerate and get a board meeting really quickly to push this through, but I don't feel comfortable signing this or having you sign it without a board vote. When we talk about the actual board meetings, what is the CAM's actual role during the meeting um, with regard to things like uh, taking minutes and recording what's happening during a board meeting? That's a great question, Kevin. The manager's role varies from community to community. Some associations have the manager run the whole thing and act as the chair. Some uh, don't want the manager to be there. Some just have them sit off to the side and be available for questions. All are perfectly fine. But the manager's typical role is to keep an accurate record of the meetings, to create a draft of the minutes. And one thing we always say is that they're called minutes, not hours. Uh, And what we mean by that is that minutes oftentimes turn into a transcript. And we don't think that's required by Florida law. And you should be keeping a record of motions and seconds and votes and uh, important items of discussion. But those minutes should not turn into transcripts necessarily because you oftentimes get it wrong. I've been misquoted in many, many, many minutes and sometimes you know, leaving out the word not in the middle of my sentence, which obviously makes my opinion very different when they try to include that in the minutes. So keeping a, a summary of corporate action is really important. That's usually the manager's role. Sometimes they'll record the meeting to go back and get the minutes right afterwards. Uh, But recognizing the role of the minutes, which is to include the um, acts of the corporation with those, again, motion, seconds, votes, and important items. Uh, But then also trying to manage inter-board relations during the board meeting, recognizing that there should be a time set aside for board discussion. And sometimes the manager facilitates that. Sometimes the president does if they're the chair, but oftentimes it's the manager. And being able to allow that full and open discussion, making sure that anything that was communicated by email is brought back out in the open during the board meeting so that owners know that there is a fully informed thought out decision process that led up to the the board vote maybe at the meeting itself. And recognizing that uh, even if you have disagreement on the board, 
that those voices need to be heard to show transparency, to show that the board was exercising business judgment. And so if the manager is asked to step into that conversation at the board meeting, it's oftentimes to facilitate that or to provide information that the board can then rely on um, because the manager has the boots on the ground. They have the most information. So it's keeping minutes. It's knowing what should be in the minutes and knowing what should not be in the minutes. It's being able to step in when asked to handle the personalities on the board to help that board discussion get to a vote. Um, The issue of parliamentarian is very difficult because Robert's Rules is just awful to read and understand. And it's somewhat built for large assemblies, and it's not real great for small board meetings of three or five board members and how to work in that because sometimes it conflicts with the statute as well. And so uh, parliamentarian is, is difficult, but trying to follow a protocol and get the board onto a protocol where there's motions and seconds and where there's an opportunity for owners to comment and closing that window and then facilitating a board discussion and getting it to a board vote. If your meetings are going for two or three hours because there's just too much discussion, then maybe the manager should step in and try to facilitate that fast track of, again, motion second, discussion, board discussion, board vote, try and get through a little faster. So here we are in the middle of a pandemic and we've had to move to Zoom and other electronic means of conducting board meetings. How has this had an impact on transparency? Yeah, Kevin, it's obviously been difficult. The uh, the world has changed in how we communicate. So the statutes indicate that board meetings should be open. And that means that you are having owners sit in a room where the board is at the front and there's discussion going on. Owners are able to attend, but we don't want people congregating in small rooms and breathing the same air right now. And we need to respect the fact that a lot of people don't want to be in these rooms anyway, even if they were allowed and still find, still find a way to facilitate this open discussion. So the CAMS role is largely trying to find a way to create electronic uh, worlds where we can interact. And so many of our CAMS are being asked to work with uh, electronic voting firms. And they're asking us as you know the association's council to draft resolutions and facilitate voting for owners electronically. The managers are being asked to facilitate Zoom and go to meeting and run those meetings, try to find a way to allow owners to ask questions in advance if they're only able to call in and, and they don't want to engage their microphone, uh, trying to find a way to um, facilitate board discussions. Maybe a board member doesn't have a computer, right? So how do we do all that? So it's definitely an evolving situation, but the manager's duty is not to make sure that uh, directors, you know, all have technology, but it's to find a way with your individual set of directors to make sure you're able to get as close as we can during this time to open meetings where owners can participate, owners can speak, owners can, you know, away, raise their hand electronically or otherwise, and where owners who don't have computers are able to call in and still participate and find a way to do that. It's a challenging task. Technology is making it much easier. But we're finding right now that the way COVID has changed is that a lot of our meetings are happening virtual. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that we need to make sure that we are still operating under the confines of the statute. And the intent of that is open, noticed discussion. Steve, thank you for joining us today on Concerning CAMS to walk us through managing the board. If listeners have additional questions, how can they best reach you or your associates at the law firm of Godia Damsick to Boast and Cross? I appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. Uh, Our website is the best way to contact us, and it's gadclaw.com, Godi, Adamzik, DeBost, CrossLaw.com, or our phone number, which is 239-331-5100. 
Thanks, Steve, and we'll include this contact information in the episode notes for this podcast.